This is Diving Board, a new show about artists, the art they create, and the wide range of social and cultural ideas they explore. I'm Bill Valerio, and I run the Woodmere Art Museum, where we tell the stories of Philadelphia's art and artists. And I'm Stephanie Marudis of Cuvenda Media, where we produce Narratives for Social Change. So here we are in part two. We're going to spend time with Violet Oakley and hear, in her own words, her vision in the murals she made for the Pennsylvania State Capitol. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, uh, hit the pause button, go back and listen to that first, and of course our preview, um, if you haven't done that either, because if you just listen to part two, none of it will make sense. So please go back and do that. We're going to start with some numbers. 25 years, 43 murals, and three rooms. Over the span of 25 years, Violet Oakley produced these 43 murals in the three branches of state government, in the executive, judicial, and legislative branches. So she did the governor's office, uh, formerly known as the reception room. She did murals in the Senate chamber, and she did murals in the state Supreme Court chamber. And in her original 1902 commission, her job was to create uh, artwork that was illustrative or allegorical of the founding of the state. So what she ended up doing uh, in a very unique way, she decided to portray Pennsylvania's founder, William Penn, in England, not in Pennsylvania, but before he came to found Pennsylvania, in England where he experienced religious intolerance as a Quaker and how that ultimately led him to create a new society where people could practice their religion in peace. And as we're about to hear from Patricia Lycos Ricci, who we heard from in part one, she is the leading scholar on Violet Oakley, and Patricia is going to give us some important context that will help you understand what the murals represent at the State House. It's all about religious prejudice and religious intolerance, which was a very significant issue at the turn of the century because of the immigrants coming into the country. And two groups in particular in large numbers coming in were Catholics and Jews to the predominantly Northern European Protestant groups who, of course, had their differences among each other, but they suddenly felt a sense of solidarity against the papists and the Jews coming into the country. And there was a lot of hostility towards those groups. And then also there were people like Violet Oakley herself. She was raised as an Episcopalian, but who didn't find institutional religion to be psychologically satisfying. And she was attracted to some of the mystical religions that were around at the time that were more philosophical. And so religions like uh, Christian science, which Violet Oakley was attracted to and converted to, and one of the religions also that gave her kind of a blueprint for social change was the Quakers. And so when she received the commission, to paint murals for the Pennsylvania State Capitol, she began to study the Quaker religion, which she was not familiar with. And she became completely convinced that the Quaker religion had all the principles that were needed to have, if not a perfect society, at least a just 
society. Equality between the sexes, equality between the races, religious tolerance, a kind of social justice on the economic level so that there were not huge discrepancies between wealth and poverty. Oakley then began to see how Pennsylvania had been founded because William Penn realized that a religious intolerance uh, made it impossible to have the sort of society he wanted to live in. Of course, the other thing that I should have mentioned is nonviolence, pacifism, the refusal to bear arms. Now, these were not mainstream American values, but they were the principles that Quakers live by. And Oakley's murals throughout the Capitol, especially the governor's reception room and the Senate chamber, demonstrate how the problems that occur in society are a result of not following these principles. And right now, we are going to hear from Violet Oakley herself. This comes from a 1955 recording of her giving a tour of her mural work at the Pennsylvania State House. And at the time of this recording, she was 80. And we're going to pull some excerpts for you. So get ready to listen. We're going back in time to 1955 with Violet Oakley. My hope in doing the work was that not only the miracle of Penn's holy experiment would be recorded as history, but that the holy experiment might live again. And a sacred sanctuary where, where various people from various sides of uh, the solution with their various ideas might come into this unarmed, neutral, holy land and solve their problems. I think it could be done. Do any of you agree with me? That's not. Not one. <laughs> oh, you do? Oh, all right. <laughs> Well, that's, that's very encouraging. As an advocate for world peace and disarmament, Violet sought to keep William Penn's vision alive, especially the ideas presented in his 1693 Parliament of Nations. The development of the League of Nations was said to be nearer to this idea of Penn's than to any other idea which had been promulgated about universal law and the, and the substitution of law for war. And after both world wars, Oakley spent extensive time as an unofficial ambassador and observer of international law, uh, making sketches of delegates from around the world, first at the League of Nations in the 1920s and later at the United Nations in the 1950s. And locally, she was among a group of supporters who wanted to see the United Nations headquartered in Philly instead of New York. Well, it should have come here. I think perhaps it ought to come here to Harrisburg. But that remains to be seen. I still hope and pray that it will come to the city of brotherly love where it belongs. Violet's most radical work are the murals in the Senate chamber. She called these murals the creation and preservation of the Union, and she made these murals in the years of the First World War. It's important to understand that while Violet Oakley channeled the great Renaissance masters in her art-making, in her style, 
which was traditional in that sense. She was absolutely modern and up-to-date with her belief that art needed to be relevant to the present and to the future. So in these murals, we have historical figures, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and we have the battleships of World War I. We have a history of slavery that goes back into the past with the Hebrew slaves of Egypt, the African slaves of the Americas, and then right up into the present with women who are slaves in prostitution. Violet was absolutely committed to the idea of the equality of races. So when you walk into the Senate chamber and turn around and to your left, you see a mural she made that tells the story of Quakers who were so committed to the idea of equality that they pooled their money and purchased an entire slave ship only to commandeer the ship bring it to Canada where there was no slavery and set the people free. Why I think that she, her work is both relevant and why she is a, a significant American artist is because within that context of civic mural painting in particular, she is, instead of being just celebratory and nationalistic, she portrays a critique of American history. She actually shows the problems within not just American history, but for her, she saw American history as part of a universal history. In some of the largest murals in the chamber, Violet portrays the Constitutional Convention of 1787, which took place in Philadelphia. There we see George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, Benjamin Franklin, our great founding fathers, and they are engaged in the lofty ideas that are the basis for the idea of America. Um, however, Violet inserts a powerful moment of social commentary. She portrays an enslaved African, a man wearing a colorful vest and African fabric um, clothing, who is a servant in the room, and he is piling books at the feet of the founding fathers, and they ignore him pay no attention. You know, this irony that the founding fathers addressed slavery in the Constitutional Convention, but chose not to put an end to the enslavement of Africans in their new country, in Violet Oakley's opinion, was a flaw in their thinking. And so she shows in the adjacent mural, the mural that mirrors this image of the Constitutional Convention, she shows the next most famous great president of the United States, President Lincoln at Gettysburg, presiding with his head down in sadness, together with mothers who have lost their children, soldiers who are maimed in the Civil War. Violet Oakley sees the violence of the Civil War, a violent period in American history that she herself called the near death of the nation, a time period that she was conscious of as a young woman growing up in New Jersey, New York, and Philadelphia. Violet Oakley sees the Civil War as the outgrowth of that mistake at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in 1787. 
Today, of course, we are still grappling with the legacy of the Civil War and the art made to uh, memorialize it. Some made in a very different spirit than that of Violet Oakley, and we are watching as Civil War monuments across America are being taken down and removed from our public spaces. The national conversation on race continues, and one of the reasons Violet Oakley is so important is because she is engaging with this conversation before any other artist that I know of in the history of American art. And as we just heard Bill explain all the murals in which Violet Oakley portrays so many hardships, Violet then pivots and gives us a solution in the center of the Senate chamber. When you look way up high in the middle of the room, there is a large goddess-like figure in blue kneeling humbly with her arms stretched out over what Oakley described as the armies and slaves of the earth. Here, Violet Oakley is giving us what she sees as the solution, which is peace and unity. And right now, we're going to spend the next few minutes hearing from Violet describe what this unity figure represents and how she got inspired to create it. This plan for the room was, was, uh, was worked out as it, as it is at the time of uh, the Balkan War, the disturbance in the Balkans in 1912, two years before the outbreak of the World War. And they represent the armies of the earth striving to take the kingdom of peace by violence. And this represents the slaves of the earth being driven upward, forward and upward by their very slave drivers who are fear and tyranny and greed from the slave ships on and up and they all meet in the city of peace where the shackles are taken off from the slaves and they rejoice in their freedom and the armies see what you can't see here above the steps of the throne and the leader there surrenders instead of conquering he surrenders to the idea of peace and here the weapons are beaten into plowshares and the scholars bring in their highest ideas of the law and the kings of the earth take off their crowns before the throne and the little black baby is being washed baptized in the water of life the great figure in the center symbolizes the water of life the water that issues from the throne and uh, it symbolizes the unity of all things it is painted entirely in blue. Blue is symbolic of the wisdom. And I remember when I f this complete plan for the room was developed, I was working in London after much previous study. And when I thought of that central figure of unity, I was appalled. I tried to make another, another composition and it wouldn't, it wouldn't come. I had to go back to that because there had to be that great, strong, enormous central figure as keystone to hold all the different parts of the paintings in the room together. And I remember 
being quite dashed and one day going out and it was a rainy, windy day and I went down and I thought the Thames River looked like a rather good place in which to jump when you knew you couldn't carry out what you'd been asked to do. And uh, I went to the exhibition of the society, the Royal Society of Watercolorists, to which one of my English uncles had belonged, great uncles, and that exhibition rather depressed me. There were some good things, but there were a lot of very poor things, very weak things, very mushy things, very sentimental things, and that didn't help. And I stumbled out of that, and I stumbled down to the, to the National Gallery, and my hair was coming down, and the wind was blowing, and the rain was, was pouring, and I was very miserable indeed, and I, with difficulty, climbed up all those steps of the National Gallery and got up into the Central Hall and dropped upon a, a bench in the center. And I looked up, and I saw a beautiful Italian painting, an early painting by Orcagna. And I suddenly realized that time had nothing to do with art. It was a question of whether it was good or not, of any time or age, that art was not for time, not for an age, but for all time, that it was the expression of the eternal qualities of beauty and harmony. And I was immediately healed. We are now moving into the third chamber that Violet Oakley decorated with murals, and that is the Pennsylvania Supreme Court Chamber. There, Violet Oakley created a series of murals about the history of law from ancient times to modern times. This was a history of law that Violet Oakley wanted to show evolving in time. And she had to do this research on her own. She studied Greek law, Byzantine law, ancient laws around the world that channeled into a modern sense of the meaning of law as the basis for organized society. This work was so impressive and the research so thorough that Drexel University awarded Violet Oakley an honorary doctorate of law in her honor when these murals were completed. But the main figure connects to the great goddess of unity we just talked about in the Senate chamber because in the Supreme Court building is Violet Oakley's figure, Divine Law. Divine Law presides over the Supreme Court chamber of Pennsylvania. Her swirling blonde hair encompasses and embraces the entire globe of the planet, and her face is interwoven with colossal scale letters that spell out the word law, L-A-W. After a great deal of reading and written notes, then I like to simplify and make an illuminated, uh, some illuminated pages of notes where uh, the essence can be brought out more. And I made at the top of my page a, a large L-A-W for the law as the big initial at the top of the note page. And then I suddenly saw that L-A-W stood for love and wisdom. And I think I made a discovery. Law is the union of love and wisdom. 
that wraps up part two of our series on Violet Oakley. Be sure to check out part three, Reclaiming Violet Oakley and Why She Matters Today. Also, please come visit us at Woodmere. See our exhibition on Violet Oakley on view through January 21st. Go to our website, woodmereartmuseum.org, to find out more about the exhibition and its programs, and follow us on social media at Woodmere Art. 